Roxy Soxy. Good morning, Tam Tam. Los Angeles is now going back into quarantine oh just after they started opening everything up and I was just about to get my toes done and my oh. vagina waxed and bam. It's it's like a dream that was just like ripped from you. I feel the same way. I was going to get my hair colored, like do the whole thing. It's like, it's like, it's never going to happen now. It's never going to happen. Yeah. I was like that stray hair down there is just going to look perfect. <laughs> We're going to be hairy, hairy cave women for the next, you know, year at least probably. So who do we have on? <gasps> oh, I'm so excited for this guest. So we have on Miss Sarah from the Birds Papaya. She is like done. Voice of a generation. She, she really has. She is a voice of a generation. She is like a trailblazer. She is a game changer. A light she, in the darkness. Yes. <laughs> she is all. Podcaster, blogger, blogger. has three kids. <laughs> the coolest. She is the coolest. She is a She is doing it all. Like she is doing it all. And she is making huge changes like in our industry, in the world. I mean, she is really turning everything upside down and I love it. Yeah, she's changed the way I feel about yep. myself. So welcome, yes. Sarah. Welcome, Sarah. Yay! Oh, my gosh. That was an introduction. <laughs> also, I'm so sorry you're back in quarantine. We're in Canada. We've been, like, really, really, like... Yeah, what's the latest there? Oh, well, we're doing quite well. Okay. Um, if you, you're if always you can... doing quite well in yeah, Canada, by the way. <laughs> we're doing quite well. Um, they, they were really aggressive on shutting things down, keeping mm -hmm. in quarantine. We have things going in phases and certain areas get to go through certain phases. And we have a bit of a bubble system. So you have a bubble of 10 people you are allowed to bubble with. Okay. You can be in contact with. Everyone else is like masked. There's laws, like it, it's the law here in our area. Like you have to wear a mask indoors. Um, everything's kind of, so it's kept, it's kept it pretty low and it's kept it pretty good so far. I think mm -hmm. it was navigated really quickly, really well, but I gotta be honest, our, in Canada, a lot of people don't realize our news is your news. So we're in Canada having like totally different numbers and stats while watching the Americans kind of have this journey of it's just it I just you just keep waiting for it to get better and then all of a sudden it's turning a new corner so I didn't even know you guys were back in quarantine yeah I mean yeah. we're almost back right Roxy I mean yeah. I feel like we were just poking our heads out just a little bit a little bit doing the yeah. turtle doing the turtle doing the turtle <laughs> like the you know what after pregnancy in the butthole but we know <laughs> um I think the problem with America and I'm an American citizen now so I can say that is like the head and the tail don't know what's happening and mm. I feel like you know we just the communication and no one's really knowing what steps you're supposed to take and should take and no one's believing mm -hmm. this and no one's believing that so you'll have a lot of people who are very careful like Roxy and I who mm -hmm. you know show up at parties with like two masks and a shield <laughs> and gloves and then you'll have other people who just don't think that it's real and yeah. people are dying so you know it's hard to try to change people's um mental state when it comes to like how they actually feel about what's happening in the world right now. So I think that's difficult. A hundred percent. And no, no, I just think that that's exactly it. Right. Like there's, 
it's just such a time where everyone's a little bit untrusting. We're a little bit untrusting. Like what, what's real? What's not? Can we trust the politicians? Can we trust the news? Can we trust anything? So Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's good that we're asking questions. I think it's good to kind of poke and prod back, but then it also right now, like I'm erring on the side of extreme caution. Like I, you know, there's kids in play, there's family members in play, there's, there's everybody else. And I think for me, I keep coming down to, if we're going to like one day, like 2020 is a shit show and half. Mm-hmm. So one day we're going to be telling our grandkids about the year 2020. And I just want to know that I was on the right side of history. I want to know that I was on the right side of this. Right. right. And I think that that's what my big thing that I'm carrying is I don't want to look back and say, you know what? I just, that was the one choice I should have done different. And I wish I hadn't have done that. But at the same time, trying to not live in fear and trying to move forward with the regulations that we now have been given. I just wish we could all get on the same page. You know, it's like, I feel like if we all united and came together, like, I was like, hopefully we could just like eradicate the whole thing, you know, and like be back to normal life, you know? I mean, if it's two weeks, right. They say you're, 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 um, you're contagious for two weeks. Yeah. They just fucking shut down the entire world for 14 days. No one could leave the house for 14 days. It gave yeah. us time to prepare. Yeah, like and get yeah sure, like, not like the last day, right. but they gave us like, you know, we're going to shut it down in a week and a half's time. That's it. You can't leave the house. You get a fine if you do. Mm-hmm. Then we, I don't know if we would be here. Right. I was actually reading, I was reading yesterday about like the different, the different pandemics that have happened throughout history. And back in like the 1300s was the black plague, I believe yes. it was. Yeah. And it wiped out half the world. And I was wow. like, how did they ever like cure that? And it was quarantine. They literally <gasps> just shut everything down. Finally, everyone just stayed in. And this is back in the time of like horse and carriage. So it's a bit different. <laughs> yeah. But... I mean, and we're still battling people who just want to go on vacation, right? Like that, that's, you know, our troubles are, are so much different, but I was looking at that and I was like, oh, it's not funny that we're literally, because it's so unprecedented. The only thing we really can do right now is stay home is, is by doing these things, by being extra safe, by wearing masks. And so, I mean, it, but to be honest, nobody has the answers because there is, there was no real, how could we be prepared for this? It's just, yeah. it's just not a reality that we ever thought we were going to face. Right. Mm-hmm. So besides like SARS, which was barely anything compared to this. Right. Right. I feel like, yeah, it didn't affect everyday life for us. You know, it's like, no. this one's like a game changer. I mean, I'm like every day, like, oh my God, what am I going to fucking cook tonight? <laughs> <laughs> That's oh Lexi's biggest problem. What am I going to It adds up. Because I mean, I, I think Tamina and I, up. right? Tamina and I were talking about this when you have kids too. You know, like at the beginning yeah. of quarantine, it's like, oh, I'm going to try out all these new recipes and I'm going to be like the Martha Stewart of like quarantine. By like week four, I was like, here's a can of baked beans. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like here's some bread. Like go, you know, have at yeah. it. Because it's just, yeah. right? It's just like yeah. one thing after another, you know? Last night I did a whole, like, you know what? It's going to be cheaper for me to order a pizza than it is for me to make a homemade pizza. Wrong. Right. But I, by the time I ordered all of the things and like got it delivered, <laughs> I was like, how did I just spend $120 on like what was the post- like convenience? Like, <gasps> my gosh, my house is a disaster. Like there's no, we're, there's five humans that are all existing in this home at all times. There's new stick on the wall that hasn't been there in a while. There's just a lot, there's a lot going on, right? Like it's just... 
and God bless children. But in order to get a work day done, oh. I kind of have to leave them to do, to their own vices. Right. I come downstairs. I just came downstairs in the kitchen and there was just lollipops on the counter. And I was like, okay, so this is how we're, this is how we're doing today. Right. So do yeah. you feel like it's funny because in the beginning of this quarantine, I was actually really positive about it because I'm yeah. a little, I, I have a little bit of social anxiety. So I kind of, she never likes to leave. I never had to leave the house. Like I got to like still work, but I didn't actually have to go to meetings. It was fine. I got to cook at home, be with my family. For some reason, the last couple of weeks, and I think a lot of people have felt like this too, it's starting to affect them mentally. And it's Mm -hmm. the anxiety I think came in the beginning, but I feel like now people are suffering the depression, um, the the depression of, of this quarantine. And it's because, you know, I think as human beings, we latch on to hope. Mm-hmm. And we go, you know, there's opportunity and hope. And, you know, even if I feel down, there's still, I can still look out into my future and see that there's something there for me. Mm-hmm. And I think because this continues, maybe not in Canada, but definitely in the, U- the US, I feel like people are losing that sense of hope. And I, I know for me this last week, I've just felt really blah, like unmotivated, didn't, don't want to do anything, don't want to like get up, get dressed. And that's so unlike me because I'm mm-hmm. such, I'm such a... Like I get like, get up and go and I, I, it excites me to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting talking to other people to see like, is that something that they're starting to deal with now as we get further into this quarantine? Yeah. And, and I think a lot of us had that. I think at first there was like, I'm not gonna lie. It was a touch of excitement. There was like, you're like, I don't have to leave. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Look at, and I had like, it was kind of sad. I was supposed to be in Australia like the next week and I've never even been overseas. I'm Australian. Come with me next time. I heard that in your voice like two seconds ago, that little accent came out. (sighs) I was so ready and I was so excited. So I had to come down from a little bit of like that disappointment, but there was a little bit of wow, this is like a moment in time. And like, we're all going through this together. When have we ever experienced something the whole world has been a part of in order to get better? But then that got less interesting and being at home was less fun and doing Zoom calls weren't Mm -hmm. so exciting anymore. It kind of just, and now it just feels a little bit like Groundhog Day, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like this weird, do we have to keep doing all these things and questioning? But I think the biggest thing for me is one of my best friends lives out on the West Coast and I Mm -hmm. see her, probably every six weeks because work travel brings me out to the West coast all the time. So I, we see each other every six weeks. It's been Mm -hmm. a very common part of our relationship. And now it's like her 30th birthday's next week. And I'm like, I don't even know if we're going to be able to see each other. I don't know when we're going to see each other again. Mm -hmm. The the idea that it went from like, okay, this is going to pass. It's going to be one of those things too. We actually don't know. There might not even be a vaccination until like, I don't know, yesterday I heard like 2022. And I was like, I actually just don't even want to hear that. I can't, like, there's just a lot when we're hearing mm-hmm. there's no end date that it, it's hard for hope to have something to cling to. Yes. That's the problem. It's so unknown. We actually had an expert on the podcast probably a month ago, and he said that he thought it was going to be a two-year. Two-year. Like, yeah. yeah. And like it just, the Spanish flu, right? Yeah. Like the Spanish flu. And it's just one of those things where it's like, you also have like mental, like, quarantine exhaustion. Like you're just exhausted of this. It's like the same thing every single day and there's no change. I mean, for me, I mean, I don't know how you girls are about this, but like, I love the reason, part of the reason why I love what I do so much is because it's always different. You know, even Mm -hmm. though, you know, we're talking, you're talking to different people. I'm on the red carpet. Sometimes I'm doing this and that. And it's like, it, it, there's no, there's no, it's so consistent that there's never change. You know, it's like, it's always sort of the same. It's like Groundhog Day, like what you guys were saying. And that's like the 
that's where you get like depressed. I think I read this article last night. Someone sent it to me. So I wanted to tell you guys, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you know, it says eight signs you're mentally and emotionally exhausted. And I was like, let me see, because I am sure that I have all of them. (laughs) I always love those articles because even when I don't feel it, I'm like, oh, that's me. That's me. Totally self-diagnosed myself. I'm like, I definitely have this. I thought I had Lyme's disease. I was like, I got bitten by a tick. I was like, oh, I'm tired because uh, a stupid, I got Lyme's disease two weeks ago. I knew it. The tick was the thing that did it. It wasn't the fact that I have two small children. And so it says you're experiencing, you're experiencing emotionally and mentally, ex- mental exhaustion if you're easily irritated. Mm. So I'm like, well, every damn day. Um, if you're always feeling low or lack of motivation in your life, if you experience anxiety often, if you can't sleep properly, if you feel a sense of detachment, cry for no reason, feel dizzy or nauseous, and are constantly tired. I mean, Sarah, I think you're pregnant. So you probably yeah. I was like, I was like, uh, did you just describe motherhood? <laughs> maybe. Maybe the article should have been like nine signs that you're a mother. Uh-huh. Yeah. Welcome to quarantine. The rest of the world has right. to we have been experiencing right. every damn day. Every damn day. I mean, 100%. if this doesn't give it for mothers, I mean, get like the quarantine, especially just to show, especially like the partners and the dads and how hard it is to actually be a mom. I don't know what else is right. <laughs> day after day, after yeah. day, after day, after day, you know? Day after, yeah. You remember those kids that we had and we were like, oh, it's going to be so lovely, but we always have them off of the basis of support systems, off the right. basis of giving them to their grandparents to get past off to school to daycares all of a sudden you have to sit with your kids and you're like hmm, this is a different yeah. this is a different <laughs> yeah. time and space. I had children I never signed up for homeschooling I'm not a teacher so right. it was a bit of a can we drop out of school like can are we allowed to just drop out like this is I I this is a lot of work right and and I think the big thing that happened right out of like as soon as everything was happening and we were shut down I was like you know what this is great I'm gonna get that laundry done I'm gonna get my closet organized I will be on top of my life because I'm not traveling I'm not doing all these things I'm gonna be at home more all my meetings will be online like this totally changes the game I'm gonna be like such a kick-ass person And I realized within like two days and like two hours in, I was like, just because we have the time does not mean we have the capacity. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I feel like I have to tell myself this every single day. We have the same amount of hours in a day, but now all of this busy bodiedness that we have, it's just sitting in our minds now. Mm -hmm. That anxiety, everything that's going on in the world, everything that's going on in our jobs, now it's all on you. Your support systems are gone. Your delegation is gone. Mm -hmm. It's all suddenly sitting in our minds and ask and demanding of our time because now people are like, oh, you're at home, you're available. Like you can't just be like, oh, sorry, I'm busy tonight. No, you're never busy. You're always at home. Mm -hmm. So now came the time that women especially had to create boundaries for themselves and structures around their time and honoring that capacity line, not knowing where it might be. I think a lot of people started baking and making banana bread because they were like, I need to do something that's not everything else. I need to just do one thing. Like, just let me focus on this one moment of this one other thing, because I can't actually cope with everything else that's going on and how much people are just suddenly pulling at you. The world kind of went analog for a while. You know, I think that when things like this happen, we go back to basics and everyone's like riding bikes and baking. And we're going back to like human, the basic human needs of just survival and, you know, homemaking and just trying to keep safe. So it's interesting. And yeah. I think we went analog. The funny thing you said about like the support system though, like, 
in America, I don't even feel like we've even had a support system even before the quarantine, you know, like we don't, especially here, there's no programs for, for moms and there's no, mm. th- th- we don't support the mother. We don't look after the female who's just given birth. I mean, we throw them back into the workforce two weeks later and say, good luck, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you're not able to fight your way to the top with a newborn baby, then you'll be fired yeah. and you were replaceable, yeah. you know? Yes. And, and that's the hardest thing coming from Australia to here is, you know, in Australia, I think, I think it's six months I might be talking out of turn six months, maybe a year where you get paid year, to stay at home with your, yeah, to, oh, with yeah. your children. I mean, we don't get anything. I don't no. even think, I mean, especially our jobs, which are freelance, rocks yeah, and yeah. high, but we no. get nothing, like there's no nothing. payment. But even if you're from a company, it's a couple weeks, you know, like you, you don't get the support. So no wonder, you know, there's such huge statistics of mental and emotional well-being that's just gone downhill, you know, like we don't have that support. It's a complete burnout. It's burnout. Yeah. You know, also, also too, it's like when you are your own business, like we all are, you know, it's like everything rides on your shoulders. So you have this, this weight on your shoulders, but you also have like guilt because you're being like stretched, like, you know, the business, like you're being stretched by your business, you're being stretched, you know, becoming a new mom. And it's like, it's like this tug of war inside. And it's like, you know, we had somebody come on the podcast recently who said that she had, she had five kids and she never took a maternity leave. Not for one. She was working in the hospital. In the hospital while she was giving birth. So it's like where, I don't know where that line is, right? I guess for yeah. some, they just go, 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 and it doesn't stop or, you know. And you burn out. Yeah. And what happens yeah. is that you're not a good parent. Like I read something that said, mm-hmm. if you do not take care of your emotional and physical health, you cannot show up and be the parent that you want to be for your mm-hmm. children. And I totally believe that this last yes. week, I've been an asshole to my kids. Not mm-hmm. really an asshole, but I've been short and snappy. And, mm-hmm. you know, right. Phoenix is like, you know, your husband, she goes, daddy just gave you a water bottle. Why did you snap? And I don't know. Maybe it's because I have not been able to take care of myself and my needs for the last four months. And so I've become a shitty mom, you know? Yeah. 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 Can't pour from an empty cup. And and what happens in a system where it's not supporting refilling that cup whatsoever? And I think this is what we're going to see. I think that the everything right now, the pandemic will be one thing, but I think the aftermath of what happens to women and, and how we kind of supported this dream of, women can do anything. Women can, Mm -hmm. you know, do anything a man can do suddenly comes into question when it's like, well, somebody has to watch the kids. Are you expected to be the man? Like, no, like, so there's a lot of like this, this conversation that's going to happen years from now, I think, and how this time and this particular chapter of life really impacted motherhood Mm -hmm. and women in business. And I think to your point, Roxy, Mm -hmm. when you are your own brand, we're not a nine to five. You don't just clock in and clock out from yourself. So you actually have to start regulating that and you have to create those boundaries. And that's been huge for me because you really do feel like it rides on you. And yet Mm -hmm. you also have children relying on you, a home that relies on you, Mm -hmm. a marriage that you somehow need to keep in a happy, keep it sexy. Yeah. Right. That's like, the last thing happening. Although, <laughs> although Roxy knows that I've never turned down a little romp in the she, sack, yeah. ever. Tiamat is ready. Never turned down sex ever in my whole life. I never? Yeah. Well, from guys I don't like, sure. But right. like not from my husband. Like, should we interview? <laughs> He's turned it down for me, but I like, I'll be like, hey, you want to? He's like, I'm tired. I'm like, okay. 
that's my life right now because I've got pregnancy hormones. Oh so my god, have so yeah. horny, right? Streams. Oh my god. The time. All the and then I'm like bugging my husband, and he's just like, "We have never had more sex. Like I'm exhausted." And I'm like, also, like sex is not sexy when you're pregnant because you're just like, oh. "Can you just roll me to my side? It's all achy." He's like, "Oh, okay." The orgasm so good. Do you like the orgasm, Roxy? Like the orgasm yeah. when you're pregnant is so oh. intense. I used to yes. go. I used to think I was going to have a brain aneurysm because, like, after I orgasm, my head would I'd get really dizzy. Well, <laughs> you get like that mini contraction too, yes. right? Like yeah. your whole uterus. Yes. Goes, you're like, Whoa. yes, yeah. It's like, yeah, your whole. You're so sensitive down there. But then I do have to say, towards the end, we had to get like super creative with like positioning and all that because I'm like, oh my god. The last thing I wanted to do was like sit on top and just be like, like my big beach ball. You'd be like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Totally. We had to get like super creative. I think the doggy probably came into play like a lot. <laughs> Which is fine. Like, and I, this will start, we'll start asking questions about your actual career, Zara. Um, like that's part, fine though. when you're, do- when you're in that position, when you're pregnant, it's fine yeah. because nothing hangs down. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just this big bump, but it's okay. Cause it's like all in intact. Um, and I don't know if this is a good segue, but Sarah, you're very, if people don't know much about you, they should, because you are extremely body positive. And to the point where it actually made me question why I don't put up certain things on social media because we Mm. have about the same amount of following, but I'm Mm -hmm. afraid to, Mm -hmm. um, because I don't like certain things about my body and the way Mm -hmm. that I look. Mm -hmm. And so I feel shame, right? So when I feel shame about myself, my body, my confidence isn't high. I would never want the world to shame me when I already feel like shit. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how did this begin from like just being you to now 1.4 million followers and your engagement is off the fucking charts. Like there's so (laughs) many people who like need you to be able to feel like they're okay with their lives. Like how did this begin? How did you get there? Take us with you. Show us how to do this. (laughs) I have a bit of a, it's kind of funny. It's a bit of an unconventional story, but yet a pretty common one as well. Mm -hmm. I, actually after kids, I I was overweight since I was 12. Like I was a chubby girl. I never really had a lot of problems with it. Never really had problems dating. Mm -hmm. Definitely had self-esteem issues. Like I always knew I was the biggest girl out of my friends. Like it was just one of those things that I got really reliant on being funny and having a good personality and drawing people in and just being a yes girl for everything. And so I had three, I got married at 19 and had three kids by the time I was 25. So while a lot of my friends were off in like university and having a different life, I really went down this avenue of having kids and and being the stay at home mom. And that brought a lot of body change. My body was the only one at the time that I had ever known to get a stretch mark from pregnancy. Mm. I had a really long recovery with my firstborn and then by three kids at the end of it, I was 225 pounds. I Mm. was struggling deeply with depression without really even seeing it. I wasn't happy in my life. I wasn't happy in my marriage. Everything was kind of crappy. And I was living six hours away from my entire support system, which was my family. Mm -hmm. So we moved back home, back down to my, back into my hometown of Guelph, Ontario, Canada. And it was just like an hour and a bit out of Toronto to Mm -hmm. give context to where I am. And so I, I came back to my hometown and suddenly I was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm in this bigger body. I don't want to go in public. I don't want to be seen by like my friends and by people that I grew up with. Like Mm -hmm. I even more ashamed than I was growing up in high school and feeling that pressure. 
And then um, somebody posted a picture of me at, at a baby shower on Facebook and it broke me. And that day I was like, that's it. Like I'm done. I'm done hating my body. I'm done feeling like this. I'm done having kids. So it's just time that I take back my life and I, and I do something about this. Mm-hmm. So the problem being, I was a stay at home mom, didn't really have access, didn't really have money to, for things. So all I did was download an app and start exercising every day with no real beginning or end realms of like, what was a healthy amount to do. Mm-hmm. The app told me to eat what a toddler should eat in a day. So of course I lost weight and I lost it rapidly. And I ended up losing about 80 pounds in the first year, a hundred mm. pounds by the end of the second wow. year. And the internet absolutely loved me for it. So I got a lot of attention and a lot of acceptance for now being in a smaller body. And it kind of fed into this, like, oh my gosh, this is what I need to do. If I can just keep getting myself smaller, keep getting myself this, like, I'm going to actually feel like I love myself. I'm actually going to feel really good about my body. But the problem is the little sneak attack of it all was after losing a hundred pounds, I still was depressed. I was still unhappy in my marriage. I had Mm -hmm. more anxiety around my body than ever before because now it felt like spotlights were on it. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I still had these stretch marks and the cellulite that just brought me so much shame. So I'd gotten really familiar with editing apps and, and showing up like that. And, and I also had to face that. I don't really know how to keep self-perfecting. Like, where do you go when all you, when yeah. does it stop? It became a bit of an obsession. And so after I ended up leaving my husband, I moved in, this is like a breaking point. So I'm 30 years old. Mm-hmm. I leave my husband of 11 years. I move into my parents' house with three kids in tow and like the most humiliating and humbling experience to do so. And I had a smaller platform at the time, but still it felt really big. And and of course, everyone's kind of talking about this Mm -hmm. and my weight continued to go lower and lower. Mm -hmm. By the end of it, I was a size zero and 114 pounds and nobody had any idea what was going on in my life. And all I heard every day was, congratulations. Yeah, you look so beautiful. And it's, you're feeding into that, right? Like, just fed it, just fed it. And I had to, and and what's really interesting about all of this is my sister is actually a 10 year anorexia bulimia survivor. So Mm. I was aware of eating disorders. I was, and I could see them in other people. I was trying to be a support system to her growing up and then to suddenly be, I remember when somebody talked about just like eating disorders and I was like, no, like I don't throw up after meals. Like Mm -hmm. I eat, like I'm still, I'm never one of those things. Switch the words around and say disordered eating. And I was like, well, I definitely have that. Like, yeah, I'm terrified of every meal and I work off, I, I work out to burn off the calories that I eat. Like that's that. Well, yeah, that's the thing that I think I might have. So Mm I started kind of like recognizing in the, in the saddest way possible that I had kind of been lying to this community and lying to myself. I'd been Mm -hmm. trying to hate myself happy. I'd been trying to, you know, just shrink myself, be less. And, And at the core of it, if I peel back the onions as to why I wanted all of this, I just wanted to be accepted. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to feel appointed. Yeah. yeah. And and if you think about it, I went from being segregated in the stores of shopping. Like I would have to go to like different sections, the plus size sections to shop 
or even shop in that store at all to be like, I remember how celebratory I felt when I was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm in a size 12 and I can shop in like regular stores now. Mm-hmm. How sad is that? That I was like, I just wanted to shrink myself because all I really cared about was being accepted. And so throughout that journey, I started to really share some more vulnerable stuff. And at the time I, I was still, I was still small. I'm still thin identifying women, a woman. So I was sharing from the parts of like really letting go of a lot of this control that I had. Mm-hmm. And I shared a very, like, very curated version of like sharing my stretch marks and a founder of an underwear company reached out to me and she was like, I would really love, cause I was wearing their underwear in this photo. She's like, I would really love for you to come and model for us. And I was like, oh. like no. And she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, Sarah, we're not doing it without you. Like, we'll see you on Tuesday. And she kind of pushed me a little bit in, in the best way. She's one of my dearest friends now. So I um, showed up to the shoot and I just assumed they'd have me in something really high waisted, mm-hmm. really like sucking me in, not showing anything. And I showed up, I was in low rise underwear and the photographer was about a foot shorter than me. So I was like, oh honey, <gasps> like we take angles from a yeah. like, skinny angle, right? <laughs> You're coming from below. Yeah, uh, like, uh, uh-huh. This isn't going to be good. And so I had a bit of a panic, but throughout the day, there was other models on set and like professional models. Mm-hmm. And I noticed they all had cellulite and stretch marks. And I was like, wow, that's actually really attractive. Like that's really cool once mm-hmm. you start to see it. But when that photo came out and it went on to like their page, it went viral. And I was like, when I first saw it, I was ashamed. I was mortified by what I was looking at of this like upwards angle shot of me in low rise underwear with my stretch mark showing. And then I read the comments and the comments were just woman after woman after woman. This is like two, three years ago just saying, I had no idea that another body like mine existed. I didn't know that yeah. any shivers women like me. Yeah. And it was just thousands. And, and I'm sitting there going, wait, what? Like, I thought I was alone in this. I thought I was the only one. I thought I, thought I was the, I didn't even know that other people like me existed. And I realized coming back to your point about shame, shame is like a secret that once you tell it, it loses its power. Mm-hmm. And I realized after this moment, this most vulnerable, intimate part of me, my stretch marks that I had carried so much shame around. I had worn t-shirts in the bedroom. I never wore a two-piece bathing suit. Suddenly was shared openly with the world. And mm-hmm. I was free of that. I was now free from the shame. Not that I no longer existed within realms of shame, but I just realized that these these shame circles had kind of pushed so many women into the sidelines of society, once again, segregating them from the rest, not really allowing acceptance in these things. And it, it wasn't just that. There was so much more. I f- was flooded back to what it was like to be in a plus-size body, how hard that was to shop, how hard mm-hmm. it was to feel accepted. And I realized that if I could just show up and just be exactly who I was, maybe that would be like, maybe I would feel better. Maybe mm-hmm. I actually would, would feel better about what I was doing. And so in eventually I quit my job in late 2018 and I started doing this full time and, and really working through my mental health at the same time and writing from a place of really healing through, you know, disordered eating and body dysmorphia and body hate and, and working on self-love in a way that is not, I think when we talk about self-love, everyone thinks it's like, oh, like you love your body and you must be so confident in your body. I'm like, no, I'm confident beyond my body. Mm-hmm. And I love myself in action, but I don't, I don't look in the mirror. And I'm like, hot damn. Like, yes, let's go. I'm like, yeah. 
don't love it, don't care. Like, let's go. Like, let's, let's keep going. Let's, how can we be confident beyond our body? So I started just showing up that way. And in, and in 2019, my community was my biggest backer. They were just so, so into what we were talking about and what we were sharing and just really perpetuated that message by sharing my content. Mm-hmm. And the more it got shared, the more things that happened. And I grew about, um, close to a million followers over a span of 12, 12 months. So, wow. um, after working as like a side hustle blogger for over a decade, now I've mm-hmm. been, now I'm 12 years in and, and doing this full time and doing it by doing, by doing it right, by being mm-hmm. authentic, by doing it in a way that was real and true and gritty and raw and authentic. So yeah, that's the, that's the longest elevator pitch you'll ever hear. <laughs> so good. You know, we live, as we all know, and we see it every day on social media, we live in a world of filters and Photoshop and Facetune and all that. Yeah. Was it scary to kind of let let go and just not use those things anymore, knowing like, you know, you might get certain reactions from people or even brands, you know, that yeah. that sustain you at times? Like what what was your thought on that? Well, the one thing that I really recognize now is I can't actually look back on my pictures and tell you what's real and what wasn't. A lot Mm -hmm. of times I just, they were so altered that I don't even know what was real anymore. And so when you start to recognize like that wasn't even reality, like I I don't even have memories documented of anything true. I used to like literally expand the size of my eyes and like, I like tailor my nose down. Uh Once you get in there, it might start with just smoothing out a little bit of cellulite or just, Mm -hmm. you know, making your stomach look like it's not bloated. It it starts to get like, Oh, but then I can, then I can do this and then I can erase that. And it it gets really, really up close and personal. And, Mm -hmm. and it just kind of goes down this path. So I really, I think in the efforts to share and to really be somebody who would lead in that way, mm-hmm. I had to kind of allow those angles. And and part of that became some of my storytelling is that women, we, we kind of hide in our, we hide in our clothes and we hide in our bodies so often, but what is the reality when we strip this all down? And I don't, I wouldn't tell everyone like, just share your stomach. You're going to feel better about yourself. But yeah. <laughs> If I can be one person that's like, this is actually real. And I know it is for so many, like that's okay with me. It makes me feel better that I could do something in a vulnerable state that maybe just triggers something in somebody's mind to say, I'm actually worthy of going to the beach too. I'm actually worthy of like having sex with my husband and being held. Like Mm -hmm. I'm actually worthy of wearing a two piece if I want to wear a two piece. And just, so I think, I think just the kind of core ethics that I've been really trying to carry forward and, Mm -hmm. and looking at my daughters and knowing that I don't want them to start altering Mm -hmm. their bodies. Like, I think when you start to look at yourself as an external being, and when I look at, you know, my childlike self and looking at her and saying like, I don't, I don't want her to change. Like, I don't want her to constantly be fixing herself. And, you know, like when you think about the people that you love and in your relational world, think about the top five things that make you love them. And Mm -hmm. you realize their body doesn't even land on the list. So Mm -hmm. why do we walk around with these conditioning factors of, oh, I need to do this to be lovable. I need to be this to be lovable. We are so much more than that. And so I think it just became increasingly a while difficult. Like it took me a while Mm -hmm. to actually like let go of bad photos and let go of like, especially when you 
social media being tagged in certain yes. things or being at events and like you see the camera and you're like, huh, like you're, you're just so hyper aware. Mm-hmm. I, I've just slowly gotten myself to a place where my confidence is just beyond what my body actually looks like. And like bad angles exist on all of us. And mm-hmm. so just really accepting that and, and wanting to show women that you, there is no good or bad angles on us. Like there is no good or bad bodies. So mm-hmm. if we take the morality out of it, where, where does that leave us? And it leaves us with a whole lot of beautiful facets of being. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I try and do. I mean, listening to you, like I wanted to cry because I thought, wow, I mean, your story is identical to my story. Like identical. I was 200 pounds, lost all the weight within a year and then was on a huge TV show in in Australia. And it was on like a hundred magazine covers by the time I was like 21. And so I thought that the only way to be successful and wanted was to be thin. So then I, this is, didn't happen to you, but you, your sister, I developed severe bulimia um, for, from the ages of 17 to 24, I would throw up. I mean, we haven't talked about this on the podcast. I would throw up like 10 times a day. I lost two teeth. I ruined my stomach lining. Um, I lost relationships. Um, I was a liar. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I just stopped one day because I, I I didn't do what you did. What you did was go, oh, I need to change my thoughts about myself and be confident. That's why I stopped. I just stopped because I was like, uh, this is, I'm not feeling well and I want to be with my husband and I love him, but I don't think I ever, you know, my husband would say to me, well, you never went into treatment. And I was like, well, I don't need to go into treatment because I'm fine, Mm -hmm. but you're not fine because Mm -hmm. you still don't feel confident in yourself or like yourself. Or if you eat French fries, you think, well, tomorrow I'm going to work it off. Or, you know, like last night I ate, you know, a banana in the middle of the night. I was like, oh, is that too much sugar? It's that Mm -hmm. constant conversation that you're having with yourself Mm -hmm to tell, to tell your body that it's not good enough and that you're not good enough. And you know what you said, I I just hope that you said that it starts with the way you talk to yourself. And at some point it becomes your reality. And at some point you do change your behavior and you change your patterns, but I'm sure it takes time. I'm sure it's not like, you know, after hearing you and seeing your pictures, I'm like, Oh, Roxy and I are going to love our bodies. (laughs) But I think it's going to take time. It takes time. And, and I'm years into this, right. And it's, you know, it's been five years since I was at that lowest point and building back up from that. And I still, and, and I think like, again, that's the hardest part about when we have these conversations around like loving your body and being confident in your body, it still uses your body as the medium in which you're going to be confident about it or not. Mm-hmm. And, and I think especially now, like I'm, I'm in my extra challenging time because I'm in a very changing body and not only from quarantine changes, which bring about stress changes to the body as well, but being pregnant and having to accept, um, weight gain for the first Mm -hmm. time in a very different way has been, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's mentally challenging. It's, it's challenging even my core ethics and what I believe and where my worth lies. It's still, Mm -hmm. it's still begging those questions once again. And and so I don't think this is a journey that kind of just ends because, we have to remember we've been conditioned a certain way our entire lives. We've had one thing shown to us, one mold of women shown to us our entire lives. We've been conditioned to believe these things and to believe in good and bad bodies. So it's a deep unlearning. And so I think we have to be really forgiving about the fact of like what our first thoughts are. And when you're eating a plate of French fries, like I still, a lot of times my first thought is like, 
this is a bad food or like this mm-hmm. isn't good for while me you're eating it too. It's like you can't yeah. even enjoy it because you're like, oh, I, this is going to do something to my body. Yeah, your yeah. mind is like going. But oh, what I like to focus on is your second thoughts. So what are your follow up thoughts to that? And those are the ones that we have a bit more control over. Those first mm-hmm. thoughts are kind of what flood in. The second thoughts is like our response to it. And eventually, if we kind of like remind ourselves of our worth and remind ourselves that like, you know what, these French fries are not, didn't go out murdering children. They're not bad. Mm-hmm. They're not bad at all. And you know what? Like, I know my body, I know what's best. And and for me, a lot of times actually eating the food that I'm craving removes that off of my like radar. Like I mm-hmm. haven't had mac and cheese in probably three years. I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. So I just had a big old plate of mac and cheese the other day. <laughs> you know, I'm done with You're mac done. So much better to just have it and move on with life than what happens with, and this is what happens a lot with binge eating, which is an, also a form of eating disorders and why we can't really identify eating disorders looking one certain way, because it's like that same thing. If I, if I can only have it this one moment, I better just have it all. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like our, our emotions tied into the way our relationships with food, all of our social life is tied into food. Our relationship with food is actually incredibly important and one that we haven't really addressed and it and it has to do with our bodies as well. So those first thoughts are like those initial the the thing that we've kind of been conditioned to believe all of our lives. Mm-hmm. The second thoughts being, you know, the newer lessons, the new narratives, the unlearning of that and that permission to just kind of be and exist and and I think that's kind of the bigger one because the more we understand that we don't have to be, you know, xyz in order to have worth in this world, the more we can show up because for myself, I was at my biggest weight when my kids were little. I mm-hmm. didn't participate in their childhood very much. I didn't go mm-hmm. to the beach with them. I didn't put on a bathing suit. I wouldn't even go tobogganing with them because in my head it was all, no, like I can't do that. That's risky. People will see me. This will happen. Like this, uh-huh. all of these different things that I actually removed myself from not only their memories, but the opportunity at my own. So the fact is our bodies are going to change. They're going to change a million times. We are all aging. We are all going to gain weight. We are all going to release weight. There are going to be ebbs and flows in our life. How do we get ourselves to a point where we are willing to show up no matter what that looks like and have a, have a mindset to believe that we are worthy of existing in the memories that we have the opportunity to make right now, because there is only right now guaranteed. So stepping back into my kid's childhood, working through like as hard as those first thoughts are, being willing to step into the second thoughts and being like, you know what, I'm going to show up today because this is an opportunity I have with my kids and with my family. You know, if you're with a partner and I know how hard that can be, especially if Mm -hmm. you've already had children. I was a single mom when I met my husband who has no children and I was like, is my vagina tight enough? Like, is my yeah. stomach? Like, yeah. every, everything came into play in my head, right? To just acknowledging, like, I'm actually a body that has done incredible things. And I have a body that deserves respect mm-hmm. with a man who wants to love it. And here I am denying myself of that and denying him in the process as well. So turning it around and actually accepting touch and accepting love and accepting intimacy guess what? Now I get to have great sex. And like, that's a fantastic, and he doesn't say crap about my stomach. We don't even, it's not even a thing, right? Like it's these things we built up in our own heads. You know, speaking about like having kids and the postpartum body, 
You know, and I do this myself. I mean, I can't help but sometimes look back at old photos before I had kids, right? And looking at that body and, you know, and by the way, at that time when I had that body, I didn't realize what I had. You know, even then I was like, oh my God, I could, you know, my stomach is sticking out. Like I could lose here, I could lose there. But I can't help sometimes even now looking back at those old photos and wanting for that body, you know, and thank God, if I only had that body here and there, and it's like, you know, the back and forth, but how I feel like total body acceptance is just so far off for me still. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get to an accepting place like that? Particularly when you've had kids, you know, when you've had, yeah. And I think that kids are a really good example of showing how drastic changes can happen in a body. Mm -hmm. But I think to your point, there's a, there's an incredible quote. I don't know whose it is, but says that, you know, if you ever look back at your, at an old photo and realize how good you had it, then that's goes to show you proves the point that it was never about your body. Mm. So if even at the smallest points, you were at the most perfect, your body's ever been, you still took issue with it. Right. The issue must be so much deeper, but I'll Mm -hmm. be honest, like as somebody who's had a massive weight loss and then kind of allowed her body to balance back out and, you know, and exist in a medium sized body now, um, now going into like seeing Facebook memories and Mm -hmm. like Instagram memories that kind of come up now, Mm -hmm. they bring back your old thinner photos. And so Mm -hmm. the one thing I've tried to do is actually, and and it took some work because actually a few months ago, I had a whole episode where I found all these photos and suddenly I was sitting, we were watching a movie as a family and they just showed up on my, I was looking for something and and I found all these old photos And I just started to cry. And I was like, I got to leave this room because I don't want to talk about it in front Mm. of my kids. I go upstairs and my husband was like, are you okay? And I'm like, I just found all these old photos. Like I'm heartbroken. Like I'm heartbroken. Like I miss that body. I just miss it. And he's like, Sarah, Mm -hmm. I want you to think about, I want you to think about those days. I want you to think exactly what happened in those moments. So I took screenshots of the photos and I wrote, I went, I went in my Instagram stories just because you can add text on top of it. And then I just saved them for myself. But I wrote the memories I had to that day. If I actually sat and I thought about them and it would be things like, I only ate half that salad because I felt like I looked too big. Mm -hmm. I thought the backs of my arms were ugly and I was mad that Shane took this photo. I was really ashamed of this bit of cellulite that I had on my hip in this one that I actually wasn't even paying attention to the waterfall behind me. And I went on and on and on. And then all of a sudden it was like, wow, this is the difference because uh, while I might ache and mourn that and grieve, and I think it's, I think grief is a good word to use when we've mm-hmm. had change or we've had loss around our bodies. I think it's okay to say it's grief, but more so now can look at the comparative of I can grieve that body, but mm-hmm. now existing in this body, I actually eat this, eat the meal. I actually enjoy the conversation I'm having. I'm actually looking at the waterfalls and not looking at my hips and, Mm -hmm. and and I'm living and I'm actually existing in my life again. But those old memories like that, it's part of a grief journey. It's part of like what you kind of have to navigate and you have to kind of work through is, is allowing yourself that grief. Cause I think if you just try and bypass it, it's never going to work. You actually have to sit with those feelings. So I'm really glad that day, as hard as it was, and as recent as it was, I sat with it and I brought back the reality to those images because it can be really easy to just look at a picture and be like, gosh, that was the best time of my life and I didn't mm-hmm. even appreciate it. And it's like, but wait, how did I actually feel then? And what was the reality around that photo? And sitting with those feelings really kind of allowed me to grieve and mourn and move on mm-hmm. and 
and respect my body for the evolution of her. Mm-hmm. This might be a controversial question, but do you Ask think do you think it was easier or harder for you to be able to be so open because of how beautiful you are? Right. I know that sounds like a strange question, but do you think that because you're so beautiful, it's like, well, I can show my body because at least I'm stunning. Right. Or do you think it's harder because people perceive a person who's attractive Mm -hmm. to then be attractive like it, it, well, that's a, that's a weird word it, for, for people to be a certain size and a certain look in the world. If they're beautiful as well, does that make mm-hmm. sense? And I hope I, that wasn't, no, a- no, it's not offensive at all. I think that, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's something that I mm-hmm. recognized a few years ago because in societal standards, I actually have the face of like the perfect standard. Right. And so right. I realized quite early on that because my face looked a certain way, people would be more willing to accept my body and to accept me and to hear me. Mm-hmm. What do you do with that? Right. And, and I think my bigger message is we have been conditioned to see one type of beauty. There is a reason why the Ashley Grams of the world are way more accepted because she has a chiseled jawline. She's and stunning. A gorgeous face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't care Beautiful. what her body looks like. We're like, we're that's not what we can't. Yeah, we're just looking at your face. <laughs> I don't really care. Like I can just stare in your eyes forever. Right. But for me, what actually happened and, and what I found was the biggest shift for myself was to follow women that look nothing like me, which was a huge challenge because I mm. recognized when I looked through my Instagram feed, I literally only followed women that looked like me even if they were talking about their bodies and stuff in a way, they Girls, still yeah, had pretty, like, yeah, pretty. They're still pretty, really right? Pretty. Yeah, yeah. So I started following women that looked nothing like me. And suddenly I started to find a lot of the differences more beautiful. And even if I have fallen into the category of being more stereotypically pretty in my face, and that still kind of draws the masses for listening, my own self, I've actually really gotten very attracted to different types of women, different looks and stuff like that. And I think that as a society, that needs to be our bigger push to give this spotlight to how diverse beauty yeah, is. And what is beauty? More, right. What is beauty? Like mm-hmm. it is a bit of a social construct, right? So, but I'm not going to lie. I do think that, and I've said it to my husband before, I'm like, it makes me feel a little bad sometimes that I know I'm being listened to because of how my face looks. However, mm-hmm. also people will sometimes say to me, well, it's just not the same thing for you because of how your face looks. And they'll kind mm-hmm. of invalidate your story a little bit as well. So I think it's a little bit of both, but I think this is the same thing when we're talking about race issues, right? Like I'm a white woman. I will be heard. We know this. We know that like white races are heard more, given more opportunity. It's what we know as white privilege. What do you do with that? What opportunities are you giving to other? How often are you passing the mic to people who maybe don't have the same, you know, for in, in this context, same conventional beauties or the same conventional things, but have the same thoughts, the same narratives, better messages, some really, really strong things to be talking about. How do we kind of, you know, hand over, hand it over to them a little bit more and use kind of the, the pretty privilege or use the white privilege that you might have and actually do something with it. Right. So it can be kind of hard to change an entire society in terms of like why we listen to certain people, because again, Mm -hmm. we've been conditioned to want to from certain people, but as it goes on, kind of acknowledging how to use it as well, right? And and I think there's people like Jamila Jamil, who I look up to immensely mm-hmm. because she's incredibly gorgeous, but every day is doing so- doing something to change, like for social justice, to do something for somebody else. Like she's using 
what she knows must be so gorgeous and attractive in her and perpetuating it into a form of change or into a form of narrative thought as well. Yeah, it's like using it as a powerful tool, you know, really like putting your force behind it, right? Yeah, but I will say too, like in terms of like the classic, like a lot of people say to me, like if you're so self-loving, like why do you still wear makeup and why do you do all these things? But I think self-love and and the acts around them, it's so personal. It's right. I can't for the life of me explain why, like when I, when I had kids and they were little, I never wore makeup. I, my hair was wet in a bun every day. I never really cared, but I was also really suffering with depression and stuff. So when I was coming out of that, I realized that if, when I got up in the morning and I did my hair and I did my Mm -hmm. makeup, my attitude actually changed. And I, and I think I gave credit to the makeup. I gave credit to makeup, making me feel more confident when Mm -hmm. what it really was, was this moment with myself of, you're worthy and I love you. Here's some mm-hmm. self-touch. Let's accentuate those cheekbones, honey. You're mm-hmm. on fire. Like love those eyes. Like I took back the power from which I thought I had given to makeup for so long. So that when I take it off at the end of the day, my worth doesn't go with it, but my mm-hmm. mindset and that those moments at the beginning of the day are some of my favorites. So I just, I'm not going to debate them. I'm not going to argue till the cows come home. Cause for me, it's one of my most sacred moments of the day. And I actually really, really love it. And so I've really just tried to channel that the best possible. And I think everyone, some people feel more empowered by a bare face and some people feel more empowered by, you know, I love your bold lip today. Like some, I'll put Mm. on a bright red when I'm like, when I'm feeling fiery and I know that I want to get like some badass yeah. shit done. Yeah. Right? Like who cares? Right. You put on that sexy underwear in like a meeting. The and there's something is like that reflector of that, like getting right. your hair done, you know, yeah. like, I, it, you know, we can't do it in quarantine, but Roxy and I spoke to Ted Gibson and he said like, there's something about a woman when they do their hair that yes. makes them just feel yes. empowered. And it's okay. It's when okay. It's so okay long. to yeah. love yourself yes. and all your imperfections and also to want to feel good and take care uh-huh. of yourself. You can have mm-hmm. both. But think about it. When you go get your hair done, we immediately think it like, think about how many women will go and take a selfie right after they've gotten their hair done. Oh, yeah. I actually like to like, I like to go deep dives on things. So <laughs> talking about the selfie, when you take a selfie, like that is actually like, if you can take a moment, why you feel so good in that moment actually is really eye opening. So hair is a big one. You go and get your hair done. You get in the car, you take a selfie, Mm -hmm. you're all about it. And you give the credit to your hair looking really good. And probably it does look really good. You've just gotten it done, but you don't give into the fact that you just invested time and money in yourself. You've probably sat there and had somebody put hands on you, speak Mm -hmm. into you, ask you about your day. So here we are and we feel so good about ourselves. And we're like, it's because I got my hair done. No, it's because you had human connection. It's because you had hands on you. It's because you had an opportunity to talk and to share. And it's because you invested time and money in your self-care. And now you're feeling really good. Take the damn selfie and move on. (laughs) Do the selfie. So switching gears a little bit, because Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about this. It's so interesting um, that you said this, but you mentioned that you had gotten remarried. And so you said this time around in your marriage that divorce was absolutely not off the table and it is an option. Absolutely. So as we you know, and we're so conditioned to like the opposite, right? We're so conditioned to say that you never want to get divorced. You know, that yeah. should never be a thing. But why was it different this time? Well, I think in my past marriage, uh, we had very early on, and this was me speaking, we had a very conservative style marriage and, you mm-hmm. know, he worked and I stayed at home and raised the kids and did. And so we openly always said like divorce is not an option. It's just not an option. 
Mm -hmm. When things went awry, suddenly that felt like a cage. Divorce wasn't an option. So what happens now? You can only Mm -hmm. kind of work through it. And then in working through it, things weren't getting better. And it was kind of stuck in the cycle of feeling caged. And so my husband is actually also divorced. He was married in his early 20s as well for a shorter amount of time. But we both have come out of big relationships. And I felt for myself, having PTSD and struggling with anxiety and depression, Mm -hmm. I wanted the option and we openly talked about it. And what I love about it and what people think is like such a negative way of looking at relationships Mm -hmm. to me, I'm like, do you realize what this means though? This means every day we wake up and we know divorce is an option, but Mm -hmm. instead we choose, we choose to be here. So waking up and looking at my husband, knowing that we, we know what it's like now we know what it's like being in a circumstance, never seeing divorce as part of your life, suddenly having it there. And now knowing that as individuals, we should be respected and supported. And as individuals, we have the option to leave, but look, here we stay. Look, Mm -hmm. here we fight. When we fight, we fight because we want to be here. We fight because we don't want the divorce, but we know it's an option. It's always going to be an option. And, uh, it's, it's made our marriage really strong. I feel Mm. it's made me feel very safe within my marriage. I think that's the word I kind of come home to with the most is that I don't feel caged. I feel free in this relationship. And that's something that I think I hold so dear. So yeah, it's hundred percent an option, but it ends up making us choose it every single day. And too many people who are unhappy stay together for the children and for other reasons. And even Roxy and I were saying like, it's so much better for two people to be living a happy life than two Mm -hmm. people to be together for the children. And that's what your, your kids witness, you know, they, they witness that sense of love, which is Mm -hmm. not healthy for them. And then they go on. And because of that's been their role model, they mimic that into Mm -hmm. their next relationships and think that that sense of um, communication or miscommunication and not having love is what they're going to now emulate into the next relationship. So I think that's wonderful. I mean, 13 years for me and marriage is hard and you have to fight for it and especially after kids. And that's the thing that you're about to have a new baby. And they say that within (laughs) that first year, both my babies with my husband that first year, we were like loggerheads. There's yeah. something yeah. with the oh. lack of sleep that reduces hormones. you into a child. Yeah. Hormones throw in like, you know, the new freshness of a new human being and trying to figure out that dynamic with your other children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's that first year. And I wish women and mothers talked about that more about marriage because that comes back to shame. You think yeah. that, oh, if I'm not doing well in the first year, there's something wrong with me. But yeah. if everyone said, well, everyone does that in the first year because there's, it's like throwing a, a, a wrench in it all. You know, you're yeah. going to have to, you, you have to figure out new patterns and you have to figure out new ways of communication when you're, when you're going through what you feel like is war. It's one of the toughest mm-hmm. times in life. And to speak into the, what it is for children as well. I really thought that when I was staying married, that I was doing it for the kids. And mm-hmm. right. I thought if I just fall on the sword, nobody gets hurt. I'll be the only one right. that feels this pain and carries this burden. And that's bullshit. Kids know they're so smart. They're so aware. And while I don't think they were ever, I don't think they love shuffling back and forth between two homes. I feel like they now have an opportunity to have me as my true self parent them, as opposed to me 
trying to just survive parent them. And it's two totally different. I've had open conversations with my kids about how it's felt for them. And they've been really honest about the fact that they're really glad that this, they're really, they're actually at the end of the day, really glad that this happened this way and that we have this new chance and this opportunity. My kids, like, it's funny now watching them witness a loving relationship between my husband and myself Mm -hmm. because like, he's not their dad, but they just adore him. So when we told the kids, like we were pregnant, my son was like, wait a second, like, when did you guys have sex? Like, when did this happen? <laughs> like, so happy for us. And I was like, I wasn't ready for that side of it. But he genuinely was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. Like, when did you guys, uh-huh. like, when did it happen? And we're like, not having their conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what position? Like, what? You're yeah, like, yeah. Oh, what? You know, like, you're, you're right. absolutely, Yeah. We've been honeymooning. Like my husband and I, we've, we've been honeymooning with having kids and now we're about to throw a newborn into the mix. And I think like, I'm grateful in a way that it's my fourth and that I've kind of gone through it before, but I'm a little bit nervous. Like I think selfishly that our first reactions were, oh my gosh, we don't get to go on dates anymore. And we don't get to do this anymore. And we felt all these things are going to be stripped from us and we're going to be really tired and Mm -hmm. all of that. But just kind of understanding and giving a lot of grace to the fact that we're going, you go through body trauma, your life just changed like crazy. Mm -hmm. Everything's different. How can we have so much grace within that period? And, and so I think I've got a better head about myself this time than I did Uh in the last ones, which I just thought, okay, you have a baby, you snap your fingers, your body goes back to normal. Your marriage is awesome. Everything's Mm -hmm. great. You feel amazing. You have a cute baby that you post on Instagram. (laughs) Right. Right. That's the way it goes. goes. Work life, mom life. Breastfeeding (laughs) at the photo shoot. I love those pictures. I'm like, "Mm, maybe like 1% looks like that, but most of the others are like vomits all over you, crying. You're like, fuck you. Let's take pictures of that. Yeah, the real, the real. Um, You know, you mentioned like the kids before, like um, in your previous marriage, and you're absolutely right. I totally agree with you by saying, you know, they shouldn't be the collateral damage and like sort of, you know, the reason why you stay in these relationships if they're unhappy. So at what point did you know that you were done, like with your past relationship? Yeah. So when I talk about falling on the sword and how I would just hold that pain, Mm -hmm. um, I've been open about the fact that there was one day I I just thought as long as I could do this, I could carry this all. It'll be good for the kids. It'll be good for everyone. We'll keep the house. Everything will be fine. Nobody has to have anything change. I'll just carry this. Mm -hmm. And then one day I remember waking up and I opened my eyes and I just was sad that my eyes opened and I just thought Uh, I just didn't want to wake up. Like I don't want to be here. Wasn't, I didn't necessarily see it as suicidal, but I just didn't want to exist. So Mm -hmm. it just got to this point where I was like falling on the sword, but I was legitimately bleeding out and dying. And I don't even know how many days my kids would come home from school. And I was just like numb and sitting on the kitchen floor, just trying to, trying to keep it together. So to hit that day, uh-huh. where I open my eyes and think, I wish that hadn't happened. I wish I didn't wake up today because uh-huh. now I have to face it. Now I have to deal with it. I have to exist again. Mm-hmm. It's not a way to live. And and it catches yeah. up with you. And this is like with therapy and with, actually my therapist mm-hmm. broke up with me because she was like, you're not, she she legitimately dumped me because she was like, you're, you know, everything you need to do. But Can I just, borrow her? Yeah. <laughs> Please send your information. I ended up going back to her this last year and I, uh, and I sat in her office and I thought, I'm just going to go in and I'm going to update her and I'm going to let her know. And I got in that room and I sat there and I cried and I cried and I cried. And I said, like, 
you gave me everything that I needed. You instilled in me that I could walk away, that I could do all these things, that I had the support systems there if I needed it. It was all available. I just needed to take the step. And I said, you broke up with me and you left me to my own vices. And then Mm -hmm. it ended, it was like pushing a bird out of her nest. Like I had to take the steps for myself. Mm -hmm. So waking up that day, realizing that I didn't want to exist anymore was the wake up call I needed because I thought I was saving my kids by keeping them in a home where they would have their mom all the time. And the fact is, I don't know if they would have had their mom a year later. I don't know if I could have, like, I just don't know. Like I, I was, I was slipping away in one way or another. I was no longer me. Mm-hmm. And my, my parents even like, they're amazing, such a support system to move us all in within, you know, I called them and they had us picked up and gone within the afternoon. And I remember as time went on and I slowly started to come back, my mom was like, I feel like I'm going to cry. She's like, I feel like mm. we have you back. Like we have you back again. Oh my gosh. It's like we spent our whole, like we watched you and we watched you slip away and we just wanted to, we just wanted to see you come back and now we get to have you back. And it was just like, I just treated myself as such a secondary, as such a secondary human just falling on the sword for everyone else and to wake up and realize that I was just as much a human. I was just as worthy. I want my kids to grow up and know that their relationships are a choice (laughs) and that (laughs) there's always options and that Mm -hmm. they need to love themselves first before they ever love anybody else. And before we romanticize, you know, the bonds we have with our children and romanticize marriage and all of these different contextual relationships that we have in life, you, yours is the only one that stands till the end of time. That's the only, you live and die with one relationship that's guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And that's the one with yourself. So if you're, you have to be willing to protect that and to love it and the fault that to see where it's come from there, the fact that I had not a dollar to my name, I didn't have a house to call home. I didn't have a car. And I worked up from there to now being where I am now, which is safely landing in a place where I'm in a happy marriage, but more so in a happy relationship with myself, Mm -hmm. that I'm standing on my own two feet, that I earn Mm -hmm. for myself, that I have a loving relationship with my kids and they're all turning out fucking awesome. Like, yeah. Well, how can they not? Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just such a journey. And and I think we need to romanticize so much more of the importance Mm -hmm. of what, uh, what the relationship with ourself means and putting that as a priority and and going all the way back to what we said about filling up that cup, Mm -hmm. not pouring from an empty cup. It's, it's, it's actually life or death. Like it's actually so, so important. It impacts everything. It impacts, like we feel selfish. We feel like, Oh, if I just take care of myself, that feels like such a selfish thing to be doing. But at the end of the day, when you're at your best, you're a better mother, you're a better wife, you're a better friend, you're a better employee, you're better in every other aspect. So how do we take care of ourselves? How do we, for many people, parent themselves? You have to like kind of go through that romance yourself, love Mm -hmm. yourself. And it it doesn't look like bubble baths and shit all the time. A lot of times it looks like having really hard conversations and it looks like therapy classes and it looks like doing things that you just never knew that you'd be doing because it was just really good for you. And and yeah, so. Well, it's also imparting it on our kids too. You know, it's like getting, yeah. transferring all of this wisdom and knowledge to them. And then we are all raising girls too. I mean, boys also yeah. the same, but. Boys also. Boys also. But I feel like, you know, because maybe it's because we do have, uh, you know, daughters is that you, and you are a woman and you know what that feels like coming yeah. up as a woman. So like, what are some of the best tools that you're teaching your daughters for self-acceptance and for body love and to know their worth. 
Yeah. Well, we, we know the stats, right? Like the Mm -hmm. condition, the society conditions boys just as much as it does girls, but Mm -hmm. girls receive it a lot differently. So their weight will be a really big number that they carry with them. So a big one for me, I actually realized once I was weighing myself that whether the number was higher or lower actually determined my mood for the day. So Mm -hmm. I threw, had to throw out the scale and when I take my kids to a doctor's office, I actually ask for them to face away from the scale. The doctor mm. can know the information, but the kids don't actually need to identify themselves mm. by a number. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really have worked on things like that. I had to really check myself on big, big time the way I talked about myself because the first words our kids ever hear are our own. We're their first narrators. We're their biggest influencers. So mm-hmm. what, how we speak about ourselves, speak about our foods, talk about things it can be, while sometimes I think it's really good to acknowledge sadness and acknowledge hardships, I don't think it's good to be saying things like, do I look fat in this? Or, oh, I can't eat that. That's bad. And mm-hmm. I, these were normal things that I was saying all the time. So I kind of had to unlearn a lot of the language I was speaking around them. Mm-hmm. And finally, the other one is not putting such an importance around certain things. So my son actually has a learning disability. So a lot of times people will be like, we need to, we need to instill in girls, like just to be smart and just to be this. And I was like, even smart, like how about we encourage tenacity and boldness and courageousness and Mm -hmm. kindness and generosity, because even by being like, Oh, you're just so smart. Like what's that saying to my son who is always struggling in, in school because he has a memory disability my daughters look, they're being raised the exact same and they look completely different in body types. So mm-hmm. how do we remove being like, oh, you look so pretty today or that? Yeah, like, what do you mm-hmm. do about that statement? Because I know yeah. even my husband who's 10 years older than me, 11 years older, he's just been taught that he, we had this big discussion the other day and he said, I've been taught that when a woman gets her hair done, you say, oh, you look nice. You look pretty. Yeah, uh, yeah, you look yeah. like they wearing something, you know, he sees Roxy after not seeing her for four months because of quarantine. He says, oh, you look nice. You look pretty. You look beautiful. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what happens with that conversation now? And I'm sorry yeah. I interrupted you. Like, no, no, can no. we still say that? Can we still say that to girls? Should we still say that to girls? What do men need to know? Because I think it's also a hard, and no one's been sticking up for the guy. It has been a mm-hmm. difficult time. They don't know uh, what's right, what's yeah, 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 what's wrong. What should yeah. they say? You know, my husband sent a, a picture of our daughter looking really pretty to his friend. I was yeah. like, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. and I think that that's where we we really need to encourage male allies into the conversation and really open it up for them. And, and I think acknowledge for ourselves that, you know, what some of those things over the years may be instilled for us to only be accepted when we looked a certain way. But Mm -hmm. I think even like, let's say somebody gets their hair done. I think it's really nice to acknowledge that, you know, you look really like you look great. That hairstyle looks so amazing on you, but Mm -hmm. not that you look so amazing with that hairstyle. It's just Mm -hmm. like a little flip of, Mm -hmm. it's just a tiny little acknowledgement. The verbiage. Yeah. It's the, it's Mm -hmm. weird subtleties, but be like that color. Like, I love that color on you. Or like you look, when I say like, you are so beautiful, it's not like you look so beautiful. You are so beautiful. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. go into like their actual looks. Like you are just a beautiful person. I used to get so frustrated that my husband would like, I would, I can get completely done up all the way to the nines and he'll be like, okay, have a great night. And I'm like, I'm trying to put all this yeah. on. I'd like you to say something. Right. And then like, I'll be sitting in sweatpants with like probably mac and cheese on my shirt. And he's just like, God, you were this most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I was like, please, come on. Like, can you not say it? But, like, it's because like, when, they, when you see somebody and you see them for their beauty, all the other extra bells and whistles kind of are just like, 
it's so nice and it can be so complimentary and, and, but I think giving power to the actual power where it lies being like, gosh, that hair looks great on you. Instead of being like, you just look so pretty when you have your hair like that. Mm -hmm. it, changes the, it changes the way we receive it. It gives us back that power. That's, I'm kind of still on this journey because when I first, like, I mean, we're going back five years, I was still like actively pursuing massive weight loss. Mm -hmm. So the verbiage I have around my kids has changed like exponentially. And we also have to be willing to navigate it when other people's narratives come into play. Like right. regardless of everything I've said at home, my daughter mm -hmm. was still called fat at school and we still had to navigate <sighs> that. Like, but then immediately fat was an insult. And I'm like, okay, but fat's just something on your body. Like that's actually, there's no like moral badness to fat. Like it's okay. Everyone has fat on their body. Like it's mm -hmm. like, don't even, but it's also hard because I remember being called fat when I was in the seventh oh, grade yeah, and like, of course. it's a problem mm -hmm. in my brain. It's there forever. I can't get rid of it. And it, it, mm -hmm. it like gets seeds, plant seeds that grow bad trees. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to acknowledge that some of these words have really hurt us and how can we, how can we navigate them? How can we instill different things? I think I've learned a lot about, there's um, a company in Canada that are called Love Powered Co. And they have mm -hmm. these affirmation cards. And the affirmation cards actually talk about things that have nothing to do with like external factors. So it's all about like your strength and your beauty and like your, like you are safe and you are this and you are that. And mm -hmm. I thought it was kind of a load of crock until I used them on myself and found myself like bawling every single time I was doing it. Cause I was like, I am, I am these things. They have nothing to do. Like these, these cards have nothing to do with what I look like. Like I just, mm -hmm. I inherently are, I am these things and just acknowledging. And, and so I think, um, understanding, and I read something yesterday that like 80% of our thoughts are negative. So mm. those 20% have to be really, really fucking positive. They have to be really, really good. I think mine 95%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I, we, we, yeah. We're also yeah, doing, yeah. And we're also doing like damage control because, you know, especially with our kids, when they're going yeah. to school or they're around like relatives or even people in the older generation, right. they're yeah. saying things that we can't control, you know? And it's right. like, then you're going back and you're doing damage control and trying to sort of like set the record straight with them and, you know, change these things. Do you guys find yourselves also doing that? Like, because always, I- always, right. all the time. Even right down to like right now I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to find out the sex of the baby uh -huh. and having to change the verbiage of it's not the gender of the baby because Mm -hmm. now we learned that gender is a social construct that's usually self-identified. So we will find out with the medically sex of the baby, mm -hmm. but we're not going to gender identify them for themselves because I learned only in the last year that that actually was damaging for a lot of people growing up. And, and I want to be kind of different. So all of a sudden we went from, okay, what is a gender reveal? And what is this? And like the gender, gender, gender. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. we sat down at dinner one day and we were talking, there's a, there's an explanation that says like, um, gender is between the ears, sex is between the legs. And like your orientation is just like, or something. I don't know. There's like, if you look up the gender bread, man, it like explains mm -hmm. it all. And I brought it up and we had a conversation and I was like, okay, this is cool. New language for us, pivot away. And now we're like, okay, the sex of the baby. And it's just, it's like, you yeah. learn, you learn and you adapt and you change. Right. So I think we have to give a lot of grace to the older generations that haven't had the same access to information that we have. Mm -hmm. take that into context kind of sometimes I think a lot of people want to blame their mothers or their grandmothers for the things that were said or instilled in them mm -hmm. forgetting that the generation they came from 
put them into this mold of you had to look perfect, you had to be perfect, you had to be with lipstick on in a clean house by the time the man wear came dresses. home. Yeah, right. All the things. So no wonder they are now putting that pressure onto women because they feel like that's the only way that they're going to pass on success or again, acceptance into mm-hmm. those younger generations. We're the ones that are breaking the wheel and breaking the cycle. The next generation, our children will be the ones that actually fully experience it or kind of break the wheel just a little bit more. So mm-hmm. I'm actually, as, as much as it can be really confusing and sometimes you feel like you're getting it all wrong and you've definitely said a million things, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to be your own worst hypocrite. Like you're allowed to be a hypocrite. You're allowed yeah. to have said one thing five years ago and change your mind with new information and be yeah. somebody new next year. Right. So I think that's important for kids too. Like it's to see you evolve and to see you change yep. and to know that that's something that you're allowed, you're allowed to get things wrong. And that just gives you an opportunity to learn and get it right. And, and self-actualization, right? Yeah, it's like self-actualization. You constantly are evolving. And that is so important, I think, to teach our kids that. You can always learn. You can always learn. You can always change and evolve, you know? They're going to get things wrong. Don't live in Mm -hmm. shame from that. Learn from it. Do something with it. Move forward with your life. Because we all fuck up. We all fuck up. (laughs) I can't believe um, our time's up. But we're going to go on your podcast now. Aren't you happy to talk to us for another hour? You're like, oh my God, what did I get myself signed up for? Thank you so much. This was actually my favorite show so far. Um, I don't like, I was holding back some tears when you were saying some things that really hit, um, hit home for me. And there's a lot of soul searching I still need to do. Um, and a lot of bad, um, behaviors that I'm, telling my, I'm doing to myself and, mm-hmm. and, and the way I think about myself and, you know, therapy isn't as accessible as it is in Canada yeah. probably. Yeah. And that's something yeah. that we also need to talk about for women to get help because I'm sure that a lot of your journey was helped by the fact that you had someone who yeah. was an expert in the field. So mm-hmm. could help you retrain your brain. So you yes. knew what a negative thought was and you were able to identify that and be able to shift your, your ideas. Um, yes. so we need people to have access to more help. I agree. 100%. Um, you know, mental health, mental health and wellness. Yeah. Mental health and wellness is just as important as physical health and wellness, you know? And I think a lot of people don't see, you know, they don't make that sort of, um, connection, but if you're not right in your head and you don't feel well in your head, you're not, the rest of your body is not going to feel well, you know? Sarah, where can everyone find you if they're not following you, which means I had to live under a rock. (laughs) Oh, I, you can find me. My wheelhouse is going to be Instagram. I'm on there the most. So at the birds papaya, I have my podcast as well, which is called the papaya podcast. I called it that for like a nickname and it stuck. So it's all the papayas, um, which yes, they do look like vaginas and we love papaya. Yeah. Yeah. And vagina. papaya and vagina. That's like what we're saying like, in terms of like the whole like gender reveal, sex reveal. That's what uh, we're doing now. Instead of like, instead of a gender reveal, we're doing like, is it a papaya or an eggplant? Like an egg. <laughs> I love it. And they have the emojis for it, it, you know? So you're, you're yeah. <laughs> yeah. So come hang out with me on the Yay. birds papaya and you'll find everything else from there. Amazing. So and we fun. are uh, women on top official on Instagram. And women on top podcast on Facebook. And I am Tam and And I am Roxy Manning. And And we we are are women. women.
in on time.